you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn to the 124th Psalm, Psalms 124, I want to read that Psalm to you and hopefully take a few thoughts out of it that'll uh, be beneficial to you this morning. The 124th Psalm, and it starts like this. It says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. When I read that verse, uh, that, those uh, set of verses there uh, this past week and my mind started to kind of dwell on them, I remember the time when I was uh, in the ninth grade and it was the end of the summer and at the end of the summer, you know, you're just a few days away from school starting and I was going into the ninth grade and um, you get you go up to the school and you get your locker and you get your school schedule. It's probably all online now today, but back then you had to go pick it up. And, you know, you get your school schedule and you compare it with all your buddies. And, hey, what class are you in? Are we in the same class here and there and everywhere and all that? And so I got my school schedule. And um, after two or three days of school, uh, I realized that... Um, I was not going to be in the classes that Tiffany was going to be in. And at that time, Tiffany didn't even know who I was. But I thought, I've got to fix this. This is not going to do. I, I, I've got to sit where I can see this girl every waking hour of my day. And so I go to the principal. <laughs> I can't even believe I did this. But I go to the principal. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah. He can, yeah. And, and every guy in here can, right? I, I take my uh, schedule to the principal, and I was like, you know, this, this is not going to work, you know? Uh, and I'm sure I had a, another reason that I presented to him for why this would not work. Uh, but deep down, I, I, I just told you why. And so he looks at it, and I, and I told him, I said, well, really what I need is I need Spanish here, and I need biology here, and I need to flip these two and rearrange this. And he was very kind, very nice. And he looked at it and he said, uh, he said, okay, he said, well, the only way that I can make this work is if I put you in the PE class with the seventh graders. And I was in the ninth grade, you know, and at that age, there's a, there's a, there's a difference. And I was like, fine, great, you know, that's even better. And so... Um, he, he rearranged that schedule, and I was able to sit there and stare at Tiffany all day long. And I had, uh, as a ninth grader, I had PE with all the seventh graders. And I tell you that to, to tell you this is, you know, I thought about if, if you've ever seen the movie Elf, when, uh, you know, this human grows up among all these uh, little elves, and there's, you know, pictures of him dunking on them. And, you know, he's just a giant among these little people. And that's what it was like in that PE class for me that year. And so every time we would have PE, 
we would, uh, the coach, whatever game we were going to be playing, we would do is they always did in PE, and they would line us all up, and they would choose a couple captains, and I'll go, all right, let's pick who's going to be on what team this year. Well, guess who was always the first pick? It was me. Not because I was great and not because I was wonderful, but I was two years older, and I was a giant among those little guys. And so it was a big deal to have me on their side. You understand? Because I was just bigger than they were. I was more coordinated. I was, you know, my coordination had come along faster than theirs had because they were two years behind me. They wanted me on their side. Why? Because they knew if Luke is on our side, we have got a tremendous advantage over the other teams. And I thought about that. How important that was in that moment that, that, and how much people craved having somebody on their side that was going to give them a great advantage. I can remember the same scenario when I was in the seventh grade that we had a kid in our class who was just, now he had, he had failed about three times, so he was, he was big, but he was just built like a tank, muscular, and we always wanted him on our side. Because when we went into, you know, if you wanted to call it a battle or a competition, we wanted somebody on our side that we could put our confidence in and our strength in. Does that make sense? That's what the 124th Psalm is about. That's how the psalmist starts this off. He says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. Then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream had gone over our soul. I want you to think about that. That is probably a direct reference to to the encounter at the Red Sea. It sure sounds like it to me. Do you remember? And I I feel like I I use the Red Sea every time I preach, but there's a lot of preaching in it. That these, these Israelites are backed up against the Red Sea And they've got this army. You know, the Israelites, they're not sitting there with weapons. They have nothing as far as uh, to to go into battle. But the the Egyptians are bearing down on them. And they've got chariots. And they've got swords. And they've got spears. And they've got armor. And they've helmets. Israelites stand no chance. Now, what, what would you have done if you were an Israelite? Well, what I would have done if the Lord had not intervened, as they drew closer and closer and closer, I hope I would have had sense enough, like we, we cannot take them hand to hand. I would have turned around and started swimming. I mean, that's a logical thought, isn't it? Yeah. I would have turned around and said, hey, the only way out of here is to start swimming and hope that we can swim this way or that way or that way or just go out there and float until they get tired of waiting on us. But what would happen, what would happen then? You'd have drowned. They would have sat there and waited on you until what? Until you had been swallowed up, the waters had overwhelmed us, and the stream had gone over our soul. There was no escape. But we know that that's not how it ended because the Lord opened up the sea and allowed the Israelites to pass through on dry land. I want you to think about this the next time you go to the beach. When you go to the beach and... You go down there and you get your little chair and you sit it right kind of at the edge of the water and you like for the water to come up and just barely touch your feet and then go back down. Y'all may not like to do that, but that's Tiffany's favorite thing, to go do that. Just the water. Do you know why the water stops right there? Because that's where God told it. We're going to stop right here, read over in the book of Job, where he tells the waters, this is as far as you can go and no further. In that day, 
when the Egyptians were coming in, the Lord gave the command to the waters, you're going to part and this is as far as you're going to go. You're going to stop right here until all of my people have passed by. Why is that? Because the Lord was on their side. He was on their side. If you read, I don't have, the, I don't have time and it really wouldn't be terribly beneficial to go through all the examples in the Bible where God's people were in a predicament. When they did not seem to have a way out, they did not seem to have an escape, they did not seem to have any hope whatsoever. But because the Lord was on their side, a way was made to escape. Amen. Now, I will give you one example in Acts, the 12th chapter, of a man named Peter. At this point in time, Herod has killed James with a sword. And the Jews loved it. It excited them. Look, politicians, um, politicians desire to please the people and to do whatever the people want and to say whatever the people want. That's not new. Here, Herod sees, hey, I did something over here and the people loved it. I'll do more of that. I killed James and now I'm going to kill Peter. But it says that he decided when he put him in prison... And he decided that he would not kill him. The Bible says till after Easter, we know that is the Passover. And it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. It's no, it's no different than the Red Sea. It's, no, it's the exact same situation. There is nowhere to go. I am doomed. Peter has a death sentence put on his head. And unlike today, we're not going to string it out for 40 years. Just a few short days and Peter is going to die. And he's put in a position where he cannot get out. Because he was sleeping between two soldiers. He was also bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. So not only does Peter have to get rid of the chains... Then he's got to get past the two guards that are sitting beside him. Then he's got to get to the prison gate and get out of the gate. And then he's got to get past the guys, the soldiers that are keeping the gate. And then after that, he's got to get through the city where all the Jews are waiting for him to be executed. What are the odds he's going to make it out of there? Not very good, right? Unless what? Unless the Lord is on your side. And it said, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And it says, remember the gates and the guards and all that stuff he had to get by? When they were past the first and past the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth out of the city, which opened to them out of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Now, if I'm Peter, you know, Peter's laying there and all this stuff's happening. Now, Peter is in somewhat of a trance. Okay, this is not a dream because this is really happening. But can you imagine, it says Peter comes to himself. It says uh, in verse 11, when Peter was come to himself. Now, 
all of a sudden, Peter kind of comes out of this trance and he's sitting there. And if he's like me, he's probably sweating. He's probably breathing heavy and he's just trying to gather his thoughts. Like what in the world just happened? I was laying here in a uh, play, uh, position that it was inescapable. And now all of a sudden I find myself outside the city past every obstacle that I had to get past. What happened? And Peter says, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. You know what Peter was saying? The Lord was on my side tonight. And I had a tremendous advantage over my enemies because the Lord was on my side. Same thing the people at the Red Sea could say. Same thing Gideon could say. Same thing that Samson could say. Same thing that person after person after person after person in the Bible could say. That the Lord was on their side. I think back about the Red Sea and that particular situation. And it made me think about in Revelations, the 12th chapter. Let me read just a few things to you here. Out of Revelations, the 12th chapter. What I'm going to read to you here is a picture of Satan's mentality towards the church of God and towards Jesus Christ. It's hatred. And the dragon, meaning, meaning the devil, says, and when the dragon, verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent, notice this, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is the devil's mentality towards the church of God. Is whatever I can do to overwhelm you in a flood, I'm going to do it. Now, none of us have found ourselves in a literal, uh, uh, literal Red Sea. But you have probably found yourself in some type of flood. A flood of temptation. Have you ever found yourself, there, there's a flood, my goodness, there's a flood of ungodly, wicked men in this world that would love nothing more than to drown us. If you don't believe that, try to take a stand sometime for the Lord. And what you will find is you go out there and you start shining your light and you shine that light in front of the wrong person or the wrong place. There will be a flood of ungodly men trying to silence you and bring whatever destruction they can upon you, upon your name, upon your reputation, upon your business. That's a flood. And it comes straight from the mouth of the devil. There are floods of despair. There are floods of worry. There are floods of grief that we all experience. You know, one thing that I've thought about lately, <clears throat> as far as the flood of grief goes, that's something we probably will all experience. 
There is a, a great effort among God's people to try to figure out when God is in a situation and when he is not. And many times what we find is we attribute a particular set of circumstances to the Lord's mysterious plan. Now, I'm not saying that that is not true in cases. But we have taken that mentality and just tried to blanket everything that ever happens as being some sort of plan from the Lord. Especially when you see things that bring grief to our hearts. You will say, hey, the, well, the Lord's got a plan here. Maybe so. Maybe so. But listen, let's think about death. You know, Brother Tim mentioned the, the young man that was killed. We know his parents. We know his daughter. They're friends of ours. That's grief. Because of, the, uh, because of death. Do you understand where death comes from? Right. Where does death come from? When Satan tempted Adam to fall in the garden, he murdered the entire human race. Every single man, woman, and child that ever takes a breath that will face death, that is being murdered by Satan. God did not bring death. Sin brought death. And Satan murdered us all by that. So when we see tragedy and death, there's this idea that there's, you know, that, 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 you know, when, that the Lord has, has, has got a time stamp. Oh, so-and-so's born, time stamp of when they're going to die. And no matter how they live or what they do, they're going to die at this moment. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. Amen. You cannot prove that in the Bible. And I, but I can show you many times, many, many times, where certain circumstances and decisions we make can bring death upon ourselves. But back to grief. The devil brought death upon us. And when you see death, you can attribute that to the devil Amen. every time Amen. across the board. So how do you get over that flood of grief? Let me, let me, leave, let me go to this and maybe finish with this right here. Romans, the eighth chapter. I want you to really pay attention right here. Romans, the eighth chapter. And I'm going to start in verse 29. And it says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice this verse. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's Psalms 124. That God is on our side. Do you know what? In the moments of grief, listen, every single thing that you have can be taken away from you in an instant. Every single thing you love and treasure and adore can be gone just like that. You know, there's a lot of questions about the whole COVID deal, about where to come from, what do we do, vaccine, yes, no, blah, blah, blah. The one thing I learned from COVID is that we are a fragile society and things can go south quickly. And if were it not for the hedge and blessing of the Lord, we wouldn't have anything. 
But society is fragile. And listen, your family, your money, your reputation, whatever it is that you adore, it can be gone in an instant. There's one thing that cannot ever be taken away from you. And we just read about it. The fact that the Lord chose his people before, as, as Romans 9 tells us, before we'd ever done any good or bad. But according to the purpose of election might stand, the Lord chose a people. And in his sovereign mind, he said, they will be my family. I will send my son to pay for their sins and die on that cross. And I will justify them through his work in my eyes. They will stand before me holy and without blame, washed white as snow for all eternity. That is something death cannot take away from us. Can't do it. He can try. But every single time a child of God closes his eyes in death, whether as, a, as a, an, an old aged person in a hospital bed peacefully in their sleep or tragically on the side of the road, when they close their eyes in death, this very promise is enough for us to be able to say that the Lord is on our side. Amen. And I hope, and God forbid, that I ever find myself in a situation where I am as Job, sitting there in a pile of ashes, scraping my body with a broken pot, having lost everything I've got. But if I find myself in that situation, I hope that I could still lift my eyes up to heaven and say the Lord is on my side. Amen. Because what has been brought upon me in this moment is but a light affliction in comparison to the promise that death will never, ever, ever reign in me. And it's not because of something I did. It's because of something that the Lord did. Psalms 124 speaks of that. The Lord is on our side. Why do you think, why do you think that the three Hebrew boys could stand there looking at that hot furnace and say, you just have to throw me in it. Why do you think they could do that? Because they embraced that the Lord was on their side. Why could David pick up the stones and go face a giant? Because he believed the Lord was on his side. Why can you face another day, whether it's worry, temptation, grief, whatever the flood may be, because the Lord is on my side? How is the Lord on our side when everything else is falling? How could Job say the Lord is on my side? Because even though it wasn't pinned yet, it was pinned in his heart. It was pinned. And he even said some of those things. Job even said some of those things about um, that, uh, that he would see his redeemer. Job believed Romans 8, 29 and 30 and 31, even though it hadn't been pinned yet on paper. It had been pinned in his heart. How can those brothers do that? Because they believed that the Lord was on his side. And if no other way in the way of salvation... And we don't hold on to that too tightly nowadays because we're, we're too blessed. We really are too blessed. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. And I said, you know, the problem with, with God's people in America is, is that we are too blessed. But listen, when people get afraid and when people suffer, they turn back to the Lord. Amen. And the Lord knows that it, we're, we're just too hard-headed and we just can't handle prosperity that he can get his people back to him. But sometimes we've got to do it the hard way. Let me leave you with this. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. What more shall I say? 
For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David and of Samuel and of the prophets who through, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of the enemies. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others, here's what I want. Up to this point, I've given you some wonderful Bible accounts. But here's the rest of the story. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. The better resurrection is found in Romans 8, 29 and 30 and 31. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword, were, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, all these having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing. Now, our story might read like this. There were some who lost family tragically in a car accident. There were some who suffered with cancer, never receiving a deliverance. There were some who lost every single thing they had in this world that sustained them, but God having provided some better thing. There's something better than those things. And they're found in the foreknowledge, the predestination, the calling, the justifying, and the glorifying sovereign power of Jesus Christ. I hope that can get you through a hard time. And go back and read Psalms 124 and lay hold of the truth that God is on our side. 